there are three passages of Scripture that I'm going to ask you to turn to in your Bibles today. And let me give those to you now, and then you can mark them and uh, be ready to turn to them as we go. The first is Deuteronomy 30, verse 15. Deuteronomy 30, verse 15. The next one is John 14, verse 21. And the last one will be Luke 6. Verse 46, Deuteronomy 30, John 14, and Luke 6. The title of this morning's message is Obedience, How to Know God in Your Experience. For the last eight weeks, we have been studying what it means to experience God. This is based on a study course called Experiencing God that, in fact, we have been studying on Sunday nights uh, with a, a workbook and around tables in the gym, and tonight will be the final session of that study. And if you haven't come to any of those, I invite you to come tonight and participate in the study this evening led by Pastor Mike. And so this has been based on this study, and this is not a program. This is about a relationship and what God's Word says about having a relationship with Him. We've been looking at the seven realities of experiencing God. And today we're looking at reality number seven. And this is what it says. You come to know God by experience as you obey him and he accomplishes his work through you. Now there's a diagram that we've been looking at each week and I want to call your attention to the screen as we look at that diagram. The first reality is that God is at work around you all the time. He's at work to redeem and bring people to himself. You are very much part of that effort on God's part. And if you know him today, it's because God came after you. And he wants to bring you into a love relationship with himself. So he pursues you for that. If you're here today and you don't know Christ, you need to know this. God's after you. He wants you. And he wants to bring you into this relationship to himself. Well, once we're in this relationship, we discover that God is inviting us to join him in his work. And as he invites us to join him in his work, uh, he speaks to us. And he speaks through several channels that we studied uh, when we discussed how God speaks to us and how we hear him and recognize his voice. When I understand that God is speaking to me, it creates what we're calling a crisis of belief. Because I've got to respond with faith or, and action to what God is saying to me. When God speaks and I've got to trust him. And the very next thing I do after God speaks to me reveals what I really believe about God. You know, so much of the time we think that if I do what God says, he's going to mess up my life. If I do this thing that God's asking me to do that seems so big, and it is, and out of my ability to make it happen, and it is, that it's just going to end in a big disaster. And God's going to humiliate me and my life's going to be destroyed. You know, in John chapter 10, verse 10, the Lord Jesus said, the thief has come to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And sometimes we think that's what God's going to do to us if I do what he says. But Jesus said, but I am come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. You see, he's not coming to destroy your life or kill you or ruin you. He's coming to give you an abundant life. That means the best quality of life that you could possibly have on this planet he offers to you. So this crisis of belief requires faith and action. And what we discovered about action last week is that it breaks down into two parts. 
There are adjustments I need to make in my life, and then there's obedience. Last week, we studied the adjustments. Those are the things I have to do before I can even begin to obey God. If he's calling me to physically move, for example, from one place to another, there are a lot of adjustments I need to make to prepare for that move. And so there's adjustments, and then there's obedience, and that is the final reality, that as I obey God, then I can experience God. Now, one of the foundational um, truths that we looked at early on and that I want to include as we review this morning is found in John 5, verse 19. And you'll see that on the screen, but let me read this to you. Then Jesus answered and said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself. Is that not an astounding statement? This is the Son of God saying that. You know what that means? That means all the things that you and I look at what Jesus did and we say, well, that's impossible. That's a miracle. That's perfection. There's no way I can do that because he's the son of God. What does he say about himself? He says, the son by himself can do nothing. So how did he do those miracles? How did he do that work? How did he walk with God in such a way that God used him so powerfully? Well, he goes on and explains it. He says, the son can do nothing of himself, but what he sees the father do, for whatever he does, the son also does in like manner. For the father loves the son and shows him all things that he himself does. And so Jesus would see God at work. There's certain things that we've studied that when you see those things happening around you, you know only God can be doing those things. And as you recognize God's at work, like Jesus was doing He joined God in his work. Uh, This week, to help illustrate that, I called a friend. And I asked him to share with us a recent story of how they discovered God at work and how God uh, used them uh, as they joined him in that work. So let me call your attention to the screen. Uh, I want to say hello to your church. I've been following you on Facebook and watching as you've been going through experiencing God, sitting around the tables in your fellowship hall. I'll let you know as a church that your pastor is very dear to us. A lot of praying together, sharing uh, with each other, and, and he's been a really good, just an amazing encouragement to myself and my family over the years. Our desire as a family, when the Experiencing God course is written, as we've been teaching it over the years, that you wouldn't see this as simply a course to go through. The truths in experiencing God are truths that are deeply rooted in the scripture that are very practical for your personal life. So when you finish the course, you've done the study, it's not something you just walk away from, but you realize these key seven realities you've been studying are probably the most most practical thing in your daily life. We've been teaching experiencing God at our church. And we were challenging our Sunday school class, actually, and said, we need to look, see where God's working, and the purpose, and then join him. And I wanted them to do this so that they go out during the week in the workplace, in the family, in the neighborhood, the community, and see where God's working, and then to join them. Reality number one, God's always at work around you, and he's watched as he gives you that invitation to join, but then as they joined him to come back and share in the Sunday school class. Well, a few days later, my wife was coming home, and it was around Christmas, it's rainy, it was cold, it was getting below freezing, and she pulls in our driveway and sees a lady holding this large baby out in front of our neighbor's Christmas lights, these big peppermints that they had that were lit up, with these two other girls, with her, young girls, none of them had coats, it was raining and it was cold, 
So my wife walked over there and said, you just went to talk to him, find out what was going on. And that she was living in a, a little shack of a house, no heater, no water, the water frozen. There's a hole this big between the floor and the door, the wind coming in, they had blankets packed up in there. So we, we ended up, we brought it back to our sensory class and we asked to see where God is working. We asked that God would show us a family to help. We met a family. Because it's not every day you see someone standing in the rain without any coats next door to your house looking at Christmas lights. And we knew God directed us to this lady, so we prayed about it, we agreed to help her. We bought clothes, and coats, Christmas presents for the kids, all kinds of stuff we did to help them, heaters, try to fix that so they'd have heat in their home. But in the process of that, we invited her out to church. And she came to church on Sunday with us. And as I was sharing and teaching the Sunday school lesson, she made a comment. She just blurted out, she started in tears, she said, what are you talking about? I was talking about the Christian life. She says, I want that, I want that Christian life. And I realized I could share the gospel with her but on their hand, there's people growing in my class that had never shared the gospel. So I asked, said for the men, I said, let's just get up and we'll leave and leave you with the women here in the class. And they, together as a group, shared the gospel and led her to the Lord in our class. From then, she started coming to church and her mother-in-law came to church, her mother came to church. God is always at work around you. God is at work in your home. God's at work in your schools. God's at work at your workplace, in your neighborhood, in the sports teams as you go out to watch your kids play sports, as you're coaching, as you're anywhere where God takes you, he's already been at work around you. And it's interesting, as this lady got sharing her testimony, she shared back to that time at Walmart and she said, I was sitting at Walmart, totally destitute. She said, my father's got cancer, her brother's heading to jail. She's, she's got no clothes out there, no coats, no heat, no water. Didn't, didn't have any money, and she said she cried out to God. She's not a Christian, but she cried out to God and said, God, would you bring me someone to help me? And then she went driving around and ended up next door to our house. And we were praying, God, show us who to help, and we're, show us where you're working. And God made the connection between us. I challenge you, as you go through this course, don't just put it on a shelf. Don't just go on to another study, but recognize your seven realities you're going through. They're very practical. And I challenge you, as Don will be challenging you as a church to look to see where God's working this week and simply join him and enjoy the activity of God working through it in your life to draw other people to himself. Well, I hope you have a great Sunday. So Norm is sharing the story of how a Sunday school class that he taught just asked God to show us someone we could help and they discovered someone who was in need. And through that relationship, through God showing them where he was at work, this lady comes to know Christ and her life has changed forever. And so what we're discovering and what I hope we've learned through these weeks of study is that experiencing God is not something where we're finished with it and we say, oh, that was a good study, now what are we going to do next? It is a way of life. It's, a, it's an approach to living not just on Sunday, but on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday as you and I look and say, God, where are you at work around me? And whose life do you want me to connect to? And how do you want to use me? Uh, I want to give you an example. We've got Easter coming up. One of the things we have done for the last two or three years is we put door hangers out all over Wynn, Arkansas. We've tried to get to every home, inviting them to Easter service here. Uh, this year, we're going to have two services, one at 9 and one at 1030. Uh, we have lots of needs for volunteers and people to help serve. And if you're interested in serving here, either at 9 or at 1030, you can worship the other hour. See Mike Ship and some of the other pastors and staff, and they'll help guide you uh, to a place where you can serve. Now, something different is taking place, and I want to tell you about this because this is a prayer need, a prayer request. 
Uh, about a year ago, the staff and I climbed into the van and we drove around uh, the west side of Wynn. And we were moved by what we saw and uh, developed and experienced a strong desire to be engaged, but we didn't know how. Well, over the process of time, uh, Dustin Clegg and some others have forged a relationship with some dear people on the west side of Wynn. And so when we do door hangers, we're going we're gonna to put some door hangers out on the west side of Wynn, but we're going to be inviting them not to this campus, but to a special Easter service that's going to be held at the Boys and Girls Club on the west side. Uh, Dustin and some other leaders have already formed a core group, and they're going to be again working there. If, and we need you to pray for this. We're just seeing what God's going to do. We don't have an agenda or predicted outcome. We're just testing the waters, being obedient to what God wants. And so this service is going to be happening on Easter Sunday. While we're over here worshiping at 9 and 1030, they're going to be having a worship service as well. So we need your prayers. Now, if you're interested in serving, we need servants, not, not attenders at that service. We need servants at that service. And if you believe that God wants you to serve in that particular service, I invite you to come talk to Dustin this morning right after service, and he'll be glad to accommodate you and work with you in terms of what God is saying. So we're, we're believing that God is at work in Wynn, Arkansas, in lots of ways, lots of places, in your lives, in the lives of people that you know. Let's talk about next steps. We've come down to the last reality of obedience. Let's talk about next steps. What do we do next? How do we sustain and apply what we have been learning? I want to talk to you for a few moments first about your heart because I believe that the most important application that you can carry away from our weeks of study has to do with what we have been learning about the heart. We've been talking about the heart of the believer since last August, not just with this series. You remember that uh, I think it was last August towards the end I preached a message talking about people of the burning heart. People who have heard God recognize that he's speaking to them and their heart's on fire for him. And so let's talk about that. In Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 15, this was one of the three passages I want to call your attention to. At this moment in the history of Israel, Moses is about to step off the scene, but the rest of Israel is about to go forward into the promised land. And Deuteronomy is the second giving of the law. They have been wandering in the wilderness for 40 years, and so Moses is restating some things that the people need to hear. And in verse 15, listen to what Moses says. See, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil, in that I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways, and to keep his commandments, his statutes, and his judgments, that you may live and multiply, and that the Lord your God will bless you in the land which you go to possess. But if your heart turns away so that you do not hear, and are drawn away and worship other gods and serve them, I announce to you today that you shall surely perish. Now clearly the consequences of disobedience are pretty severe, aren't they? He's not talking about just right and wrong. He's talking about life and death. And so disobedience is a serious thing. When Moses was disobedient, 
He lost the opportunity to enter the promised land with the people of God. That's pretty severe. When David committed adultery with Bathsheba, they had a child out of wedlock. That child died. To cover up his sin, he had Bathsheba's husband killed, Uriah. And those consequences from that act chased David the rest of his life, affected his whole family. And so the consequences of disobedience are pretty severe. But I want you to notice what God is saying in this text about disobedience, back in verse 17. But if your heart turns away so that you do not hear and are drawn away, and what he's saying is that this disobedience, if you're not keeping the commandments, if you don't love God anymore, if you are turning away from him, he's, he's saying the issue is not so much the acts of disobedience. The answer is not just to stop being disobedient and start being obedient. He said, here's what's wrong. He says, something has happened to your heart. Your heart has shifted. Your heart has turned away. And so we have a big clue in Deuteronomy 30 that that if I'm struggling with obedience, it's not an obedience problem. It's a heart problem. Now David understood this in Psalm 51 when he gave his confession. The Psalm 51 is all about his confession to God about his adultery and about his murder of Uriah. He says this in verse 4. Listen, this is surprising. He says, against you, you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight. Against you, you only. Now think of all the people who were affected by his sin. He sinned against Bathsheba. He sins, I think Uriah would definitely have something to say about that statement. I think you sinned against me, David. He could have said that. But David's telling us something really important here about sin. You see, God is a king, and he rules over a kingdom. The essence of the gospels, repent for the kingdom or the rule of God is at hand. And for me to sin, I've got to violate the rule of God, my relationship with my king. And so before I can ever do something that hurts you, I've got to transgress, step across the rule of God in my life. I've got to shut him down. I've got to violate him. I've got to turn my heart against his relationship. I've got to turn away from him. And that's what David's saying. He's saying, everything that I did to everybody else, yeah, that was bad. But it all started when I sinned against you. When I sinned against this relationship with you, Lord. And this is true of me. It's true of you. That we hurt the people around us because we have walked away from our relationship or violated our relationship with God. Now, Jesus taught this also. This is the second passage. I ask you to be ready. John 14. In John 14, verse 21, Jesus said, He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. It is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself or appear to us and not to the world? So he's leaving. Jesus says, I'm going to appear to you. He said, how is that possible? Jesus answered and said to him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. 
And once again, Jesus is describing that the heart that loves God wants to please God, and the outflow of wanting to please God with my life is that I obey him. I keep his commandments, and he's not talking just about Ten Commandments. He's talking about God's direction for me, God's guidance for me, God's um, will for my life, because I want to please him. I want to do what pleases him. And so if I'm not doing that, if I'm not doing that, it's not, the issue is not disobedience. The issue is my heart. And that's what Jesus is saying in this passage. Now, what's interesting here is what he says, though, on the flip side of it. We're saying if I really want to experience God, if I really want to know God, I need to obey God. But look at what he says here. He says, he who loves me will be loved by my Father. I will love him and manifest myself to him. Do you want to experience Jesus in your life? Do you want to experience God in your life? He says, if you love me, you'll follow my direction. You'll receive my words, my guidance in your life. You do that, you're going to experience me. He says it not once in this passage. He says it twice. He says at the end of verse um, 23, and my father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. With who? If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. With that guy, with that man or woman, we're going to come and we're going to set up house in their heart. That's experiencing God. You know, we talk a lot about God, but do we know him like this? Well, your entire experience of God then is linked to obedience, and that's the heart of this particular message. Your entire experience of God is linked to obedience. This is the third passage that I asked you to mark, Luke 6, verse 46. Listen carefully to what Jesus says here, Luke 6, verse 46. But why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things which I say? Well, that's, that seems like a no-brainer, but Jesus asked the question, didn't he? Why do you call me Lord and not do the things that I say? Whoever comes to me, now look, right away, what is he talking about? Relationship, isn't he? Whoever comes to me, he's not talking about whoever memorizes the Scripture and keeps all the laws, the Ten Commandments, has all of that in his brain so he can recite it all. He says, no, whoever comes to me, it's a relationship, and hears my sayings and does them, that's obedience, I will show you whom he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And then he describes what happens next. A storm comes. A storm comes. And this guy is in a relationship with God and is obeying God. And the storm comes and his house stands. It doesn't wobble, doesn't waver, doesn't move. His experience of the storm is phenomenal. But the other guy... And this isn't on the screen, but just listen. But he who heard and did nothing, he knew what God wanted, but there was no obedience. But he who heard and did nothing is like a man who built a house on the earth without a foundation against which the stream beat vehemently and immediately it fell and the ruin of that house was great. The difference between their experience in the storm was their obedience 
or disobedience. Now, God intends for your experience of him to be constant and continual. He wants you to have fellowship with him always. And he wants you to have fellowship with him starting this morning and the rest of your life. He wants you to know him. He wants you to experience him. And in this passage of Scripture, Jesus says, here's the key. Be in a relationship with me and do what I say. And as you do that, you're going to have storms. Everybody has storms, right? This is uh, in the world you will have tribulation, trouble, Jesus said. But as you have those storms, your experience of me is going to be entirely different than, than people who don't have a relationship with me and don't obey me. Let me give you two examples, and then I'm, I'm going to close. First, the first example I want to give you is of Joshua, who has now taken over from Moses. He is about to lead the people of God across the River Jordan into the Promised Land. God's told them to prepare themselves. God's told them to get ready. He's going to put the priests who have the Ark of the Covenant on their shoulders. They're going to walk first towards the river. It is flood time. It is flood season. And they're to walk towards the river. He told them that the moment that they stepped into the river, the river was going to part, just like the Red Sea, only now it's a river. And the river was going to part. Listen to what he says. This is Joshua 3, verse 15. And as those who bore the ark came to the Jordan, and the feet of the priests who bore the ark dipped into the edge of the water, for the Jordan overflows all its banks during the whole time of harvest. It's a flood. It was then that the waters which came down from upstream stood still and rose in a heap. Obedience came before the experience of God. They had, they had made adjustments, they had prepared themselves, they had done what they were going to do, they walked towards the river, their foot touches the very edge of the water. It was not until they obeyed at that moment that they experienced the power and the presence of God. Now, if they'd done everything except obey, if they'd gone through all the other realities of God and gotten completely ready and had not obeyed, had backed off in midstream, no pun intended, and back, you have to think about that, midstream. Anyway, obedience was when they stepped into the water. Experience was when God then parted the water. Let me give you another example. Moses. You remember Moses at the burning bush. He experiences God. God speaks to him. He goes to the people of God, and as he goes to the people of God, um, he tells them that God has appeared to him. He, he shows them some things that God wanted him to show them in terms of miracles, some small miracles. They believe him. And then Moses and Aaron, they go to Pharaoh, and they tell Pharaoh, let my people go. Speaking for God, what does Pharaoh do? He says no. He doubles the quota of bricks that the slaves had to make. Life gets harder. Things are tough. The people are grumbling. It was not going to be the last time they grumbled. And, and, and so Moses, at this pivotal moment, probably to himself, looks like a failure. Now, in, in Exodus chapter 6, listen, God's going to speak to Moses. And listen to what he says. This is wonderful. Moses has just simply done what God told him to do. He's been obedient. Listen to what he says. Exodus 6, verse 1. Then the Lord, and I put the name Yahweh there because that's, that's underlying the word Lord. I want you to see that. That'll mean something in a moment. The Lord said to Moses... Now, 
See, Moses thinks he's failed. God speaks to him and says, now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. What I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand he will let them go, and with a strong hand he will drive them out of his land. And God spoke to Moses and said to him, now this is really curious what he says next. I'm the Lord, Yahweh. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty, El Shaddai. But by my name, Lord, Yahweh, I was not known to them. Now, he's saying something very significant to Moses, who, who probably is feeling the sharp edge of discouragement at his first attempt to set the people free, and Pharaoh didn't listen to him. And he says to them, you know, your fathers, they knew me. And, and it's not that they didn't know the word Yahweh because they, they knew the word Yahweh. They used the word Yahweh. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, but in their experience of me, they knew me as El Shaddai, God Almighty. And, and, they, they, and, and you've got to understand the difference between the Hebrew mind and the Greek or what I would call Western mind. We say that when we know someone, typically we know about them. That's the Greek mind. I know someone when I know about them. Do you know Keith? I know Keith. I know about Keith. Okay? But in the Hebrew mind, you didn't know somebody and you didn't know something until you had experienced it. It wasn't just knowing facts. You had to have some experience with that person. And so God is saying, yeah, these people knew me. They knew me to a certain point. They knew me as El Shaddai. And, and these are pretty significant encounters that these people had. He said, but none of them knew me the way you're going to know me. No one knew me fully as Yahweh. And you are going to know me as Yahweh. But by my name, I was not known to them. What's he saying to Moses? Moses, I know it looks dark. I know it looks difficult. But now you've obeyed me. You're about to experience me. And Moses, your experience of me is going to be far greater than your father's. You're going to know me in a way that they never knew me because you have been faithful. You've been obedient to me. We know God through experience. I brought, um, actually, Lisa and her team helped me. I brought the word obedience here. And um, I'm just going to kind of set it out here on the edge. Obedience. I can know with my head that God's at work around me. I can know that he's pursuing me for a love relationship with himself. I can recognize that he's inviting me into his work, to join him in his work. And I can understand specifically what he wants me to do. And it can create a crisis of belief in me that requires faith and action. I can even begin to make the adjustments that God wants me to make in my life. But listen to me. I don't experience God until I cross the line of obedience. And that's what's being told us in Scripture over and over again. I don't experience God as he wants me to experience him until I cross the line of obedience. Have you crossed the line? You know, sometimes people ask and they, they come in a, in a counseling time and they'll we'll ask the question, 
Pastor, I know that there was a time when I was a teenager or a young adult and God spoke to me and I, I know I was supposed to do something and I didn't do it. Can God still work in my life? Well, the answer is yes, absolutely. Does God give second chances? He gives more than second chances, praise the Lord. He gives second chances and third and fourth and fifth. He said to forgive 70 times seven. You remember that? He gives those second chances. But listen, when God gives you the opportunity to join him in his work, history's going to keep moving. And more often than not, not always, I can show you exceptions in Scripture, but more often than not, history keeps moving and the opportunity is lost. The opportunity is lost. I can talk to you about a whole generation of Israelites that didn't go into the promised land because they shrunk back from obedience. And they wouldn't go in. And they wouldn't fight. And so something very real is lost when we choose not to obey God. And so I'm not going to lie to you. That moment when you were a teenager, that moment when you were a young adult, that moment when you said no to God, yeah, history probably moved on. And that opportunity was missed. But look, God still has a plan. God still wants to work through your life. God still wants to accomplish good in you and through you. And his plan is not something to be looked down upon. It is something he wants to do in a mighty way, a mighty way through your life right now. Don't worry about the past at this moment. Be more concerned about your heart. And where you know the next step of obedience is, do it. It may be to forgive someone. You said, Lord, I can't forgive that person. It may be to give something of yourself or time, and you know God's leading you to, to do something. It may be something from the outside perspective of most of us. It may be something dramatic. He may want you to pack up and move and go do something else altogether. But whatever it is, don't miss God. And don't start with whether I'm obeying or disobeying. Start with my heart. Do I love him? Do I trust him? Do I believe he's going to give me an abundant life? Or do I think he's a thief who's going to come and steal and kill and destroy? What do I believe about him? Am I ready to trust him? Have you been born again? The whole process that we've been talking about is a work of the Holy Spirit in a believer's life. And uh, I can't hear God without the Holy Spirit. I can't understand his word without the Holy Spirit. I can't serve him without the Holy Spirit's power inside. And the new birth is that moment where we have come and we put our trust in Jesus. And I confess that, that I'm a sinner and that Christ alone on the cross paid the price for my sins. I can't save myself. I can't wash my sins away. But the blood of Jesus does. And that I've trusted Jesus to wash away my sins, carry them away, and that when he was raised into a new life, that when I trusted him, he united my life with his life, and he wants to change me from the inside out. Some of us have trusted Jesus, but we're not letting him work on us very much. We haven't, we haven't trusted him to change us, and it's time. The Holy Spirit, do you know he lives in you? Have you ever been aware of the Holy Spirit causing his word to become real to you? Where he's spoken to you through the scripture? Have you ever felt that sense of his pull and his direction, his, that sense of oughtness that comes only from the Holy Spirit, that there's something you need to do and it comes from him? Do you know him? Start with your heart.